Hey, we can't ever pray too much, so why don't you just pray with me one more time. Father, that is our heart today, that you would be magnified, that we would lift you up, not only with our worship, but with the word, and that, Lord, that we would truly focus on the things that matter today. Enable me to speak what's on your heart. Enable me to speak your word, because your word is truth. Your word brings life. I believe it. I pray they would receive that truth as we open up the word today in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. Good morning, saints. Hey, today we're starting a new series. It's called Moving from Believing to Belonging. And for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk today about show up, next week grow up, and then finally step up. And the reason we're going to do that is because we sort of investigated what was the early church like after they realized that Christ truly had resurrected from the dead, just as he promised. And then he ascended into heaven, and then there they were, sort of asking the question, now what? Now what do we do? And we find out that these three practices, showing up, growing up, and stepping up, was part of this community of faith. I want you to think about something for just a minute. What was the closest community you've ever experienced? What was the what group was the greatest sense of fellowship you've ever had? Was it a sorority or a, a fraternity at college? A group that for three or four years you guys just did life together? Partied together, had fun together, learned together, just shared life. Or maybe it was an athletic team. You can be some guys you just grew up with, and you know, like I see today, kids that just sort of start at seven or eight years old and go up through high school, and they just sort of develop a, a camaraderie, you know, sort of like what you saw in the NCAA, where, you know, like Louisville, where they, the guy broke his leg horribly, and it was a family feeling that we got to do this for, and I've forgotten his name. <laughs> but I mean, there was, what was his name? Yeah, that was it. And, uh, <laughs> But I mean, how they rallied around this common cause. And, you know, maybe some of you have felt that when you went on a missions trip. Maybe you've been on a missions trip with, you know, a group of people, maybe several times. And there was just a connection that sort of happened that was unforgettable. You know, a kindred spirits, you might say. And do you remember the heart-wrenching feeling that you had when that had to, to end? When you had to leave that sense of community. Do you remember what that felt like, how hard that was? I'm going to be honest with you. That's what we want you to feel about this church, about this body of believers. We want you to feel like this is a place where you can go all in with no reservations. Like Dan said this morning, we prayed this morning, and one of my friends said that we would put all the chips in the center of the table, spiritually speaking. And, and that's what we want this place to be, that you can put everything that you are and everything that you believe into the center of the table in the midst of this community of believers and do so with confidence that your commitment to Christ and that your commitment to this body of believers, you won't be disappointed. It won't go unrewarded. And so today, that's what I mean when I'm talking about showing up. I want you to fully embrace the fact that, guys, we are all necessary. 
that we really do need each other and that we should live like we do. You see, in Acts chapter 2, and if you want to, I think it's page 772 in your pew Bible, Acts chapter 2, put your finger by verse 42 for a second. Because these guys are trying to figure out what's next. What do we do? And, and they did certain things. There were certain activities that they felt that they had to do in order to perpetuate the mission of Jesus Christ. In order for them to survive, in order for the church to thrive. And you know what? They did some things that showed that each one of them said, we're all in, man. I'm here. Everything I got, everything I am, everything I believe, I'm fully committed to this fellowship. And doing life together is what I know that we're called to do, even though every one of them for different walks of life. And you know what? That's important because each one of us come from a different place. Some of us grew up in what they said was the other side of the tracks. Some of us are highly educated. Some of us would consider ourselves uneducated. Some have been in the faith for decades. Others of us for days. Some of us have interest in hunting. Some of us could care less about hunting. Some of you are snowmobilers. Others, no one owns a snowmobile. I mean, we're just all over the place, you know. And yet, there's something that still draws us here. Draws us together. And it's this issue of fellowship. And fellowship isn't just a matter of we ride bikes together or we drink coffee together. No, in the Bible, fellowship's a little more deep than that. It means koinonia, the Greek word, which means we have a shared participation. We have a partnership in a shared mission, in a common goal. Just like Peter and John, they were fishermen. They had a koinonia. They had a shared partnership in the business. We are to have fellowship. We're to realize, man, we're in over our head, and I can't do this alone, and we need each other if we're ever going to be what we need to be and accomplish what Christ said we got to accomplish. And so let's just see what did they do. So let's go to Acts 2. Look at verses 42 through 47, and let's see what does fellowship look like? What did they do? What does it mean to show up? I'll pick up the action, verse 42. They, the new believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Interesting statement here. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions in good, they gave any, to anyone as he had need. Man, that's all in. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the results are wonderful. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, guys, what I'm trying to tell you is these guys weren't just focusing on believing. They were focused on belonging, on doing life together, together. No lone rangers, no attitude that says it's just me and Jesus, man. No claims like, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I don't need to be with those people. 
You know, you never see that one time in the New Testament. Not ever. And yet today, we have so many people that claim they love Jesus, but they don't love his church. They love the father, but they don't love their mother. And that's problematic. Because, folks, we need each other. You know, we had a wood stove at our house for years. And one of the things I used to do, dad would leave the door open, and I would notice that the wood would burn, and every once in a while, one of those embers would, boom, pop out on the little stone that held our stove. And you just watch that for a while. What do you think happened to that ember? Slowly fade. Become black and cold. But if I picked that thing back up and threw it back in, it drew heat from the other, and pretty soon it was glowing again. And folks were like that. We need each other. We need to draw from each other. And it was apparent that showing up in the early church, that being part of a fellowship of believers, that being close by and in, in the same mind and on the same page with other believers was absolutely a critical piece in God's plan. But we need to ask why, because I can claim everything all day. But I, I want to answer the question, why? What are the implications for us? Why do we need to do this today? I mean, they had particular circumstances there, Doug. There were millions of people from all over the world that were coming to celebrate, and they didn't have a place to stay, and so they had to do that. Yeah, but you know what was interesting is that when they broke up and they went back to their homes, they still practiced these. And the apostles and Paul and his epistles and Peter and John, they all said, get together, be together, share life, do life, put all the chips in, and make this your new focus. Make this the purpose of your life. So let's answer the question, why? Why should I, why should you commit to participating in what I like to call the shared life? And I want to use scripture so you can see this is what God says, not what I say. So first of all, we do this because God desires it for us for our own good. It's for our own good. One of my favorite passages is in Hebrews chapter 10. In around 24 and 25, and the writer is talking about this idea of, guys, God wants us to do this because we really need to for our faith. And this is what he says in 24 and 25. The writer says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together as some people do. Now, that's a nice translation. Other translations say as the pagans, the unbelievers do which says something. He says, so let's not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. So there we have it. The Bible clearly says that Christians should not neglect meeting together about showing up. Now, I will say this. The first and the simplest answer to why we should come together is simply this, because God commands it. Now, I know you hate that when God says, just do it because I said so. But we should do this on the basis of faith because the Lord says so. Do you know, even if you were to get no benefit, there was no benefit to be derived, or there was no single advantage to be gained, the very fact that God says to do this ought to settle the whole matter for us. Because God knows a little bit more than you and I do. I've learned God's at least as smart as me. Okay? And our response to what God's word should always be this, Lord, I respect your word. We've learned from Rob Renfro that it's truth. 
We can be absolutely confident in it. And I'm good. since you've said it, I'm going to do it, period. And let me tell you something. Faith in God's word is always rewarded. Obedience to God's truth is always blessed. Always. Now, having said that, let's get back to the point. That God desires that we have fellowship with each other for our good. And you know what's neat is he says, I want you to notice that the text says to participate in the shared life for the purposes of encouraging one another. I like that because it's like, you know, you could break that word apart in its Latin and it means to put courage into someone or into somebody. So isn't that cool? That's what happens is that when we get together, we have an opportunity to put courage into each other regarding our faith. And that's important. Is that, is that even necessary? I mean, is that a big deal, Doug? Absolutely. Have you noticed lately that the world's really not real fond of us Christians? I mean, we're not finding them gathering at our doorstep saying, you guys are the answer. No, they're not. They're saying, you guys are whack. You're loony. You're archaic. You're outdated. You are a problem to our society because we're trying to bend the rules on marriage and you guys won't budge. We're trying to change the Hindu on sexuality and gender and you guys keep drawing a line in the sand and you're getting to be a problem. You keep saying sex is reserved for marriage and that marriage is between a man and a woman. What's the deal? Nobody thinks that way anymore. And it's hard sometimes. To get up every morning and say, I'm going to do what this book says to do because I believe that what's in it comes from the heart and the mouth of God and I am going to abide by it whether I feel like it or not because this isn't about feeling, this is about faith. And I'm going to draw a line in the sand and I'm going to encourage you to draw a line in the sand because, man, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes the bear, I get the bear and there are times when the bear gets me. You ever get attacked by doubt? Anybody get attacked by doubt? Oh, the rest of you are lying. <laughs> do you ever get, do you ever question your faith sometimes? Is this really right? I sure hope so because I'm looking like an idiot. I'm in my college class and everybody's going, really? You go to work and they're looking at it and say, what are you, some kind of goody two-shoes, some holy Joe? Am I right? Folks, we need each other. We can't be an island. We can't stand alone. We weren't designed to stand alone. From the beginning, fellowship was part of creation. Our God is a fellowship. We're Trinitarians. We believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that they have community and fellowship. And then when he created human beings, and he saw that he created everything that was, and he created the animals, and they happened to be in pairs. And don't think this is just about husband and wife. But when he said it's not good for man to be alone, he means it's not good for a human being to live in isolation. What's the torture that we use for people in prison? Solitary confinement. And some of us are living our faith in solitary confinement. And it's not right. It's not good. It's not healthy. 
It's not what God has for us. He has more than that. And we need each other. And we need battle buddies. I had a good friend of mine that fought in the Serb-Croatian War. And he used to tell me about that. The hard time was every time they were going to cross a road. Because snipers would wait and they were just waiting for you to get out exposed. And they would take pot shots and drop people. And so he said, we'd come into the ditch and we'd be back to back. And this was my battle buddy. I knew this guy had my back. So that I could cover the front what I could see and he'd cover what I couldn't see. And friends, we need a battle buddy. Because the world's taking pot shots at us. It's trying to snipe us. It's trying to take us down. And we need to be in close together. We need to be on the same page. We need to encourage one another because we have a devil. There is a very real enemy who is strategic with his distractions and his deceptions, trying to undermine your confidence, trying to undermine your faith. And Paul says we're not unaware of the devil's strategies, and that's why we group together. And I will be bold. I mean, if you're coming here on Sunday, I'm thrilled. But I'm going to tell you, you need more than that. You need to get in proximity with people of like, precious faith. Well, I'm shy. Too bad. This isn't about your feelings. This isn't even about your personality. This is about your deepest spiritual need to be with somebody who can encourage you. And I'm not saying you have to like everybody in the place. Some of us, the only thing we have in common is Jesus. Let's just be honest. But there are people here who are like you, who who do resonate with you and can help you. And some of you are not allowing them to be used in your life. And tragically, you're not allowing God to use you in their life. We have to make a big deal about this. Hebrews 3, the writer says, encourage one another daily, daily, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's Deceitfulness. Sin's real. It's ugly. 24-7, it's waiting on you. Crouching at the door like God told Cain. Waiting to destroy you and have you. But by encouraging one another, we can keep sin at bay. By sharing with each other. By correcting one another. By praying for another. By encouraging one another. You know in that passage I read to you in Hebrews, it says that we're supposed to motivate one another to what? Acts of love and good works. And folks, it's these good works that God has prepared for us, Paul said, even before the church began. When God saved you, he already had in mind something for you to do in the church. Something very special, something very unique, something very important. And sometimes we're intimidated and we don't want to do it because we do have introverted personalities or we feel like I'm incapable of really even quoting scripture. I don't even know if I can pray out loud. And yet these works God has assigned to me and to you, and we do have to do them because someone out there needs you to share the gospel with them or they won't get saved. I'm sorry to put that burden on you, but that's the absolute truth. And you won't do it, and sometimes I won't do it unless I have somebody draws alongside and says, come on, man, we can do this. Come on, girl, let's go together. We can talk to her. We need that. Because there are acts of love and good works that we have to do. And when you show up to a small group or when you show up to a Sunday school, you show up to a Bible study or you go into a mentoring thing, a marriage mentoring or one-on-one, and you do that, you have a chance to turn mere words into meat, into real living faith and perform those acts of compassion that the world desperately needs to see us do. 
You know what I love about our small groups this winter? Thanks to a generous donation of one of our members, and then we matched it, we were able to give every one of our small groups $50 seed money. And I gave it to him, and I said, listen, I trust you. You take this money, you add your time, your talent, your treasure, whatever you want to do, don't pressure anybody, and you be Jesus to somebody. And man, you should have seen what happened. It was amazing what you guys did. Single mothers, unemployed people, Christians, non-Christians, letters were coming in, and I kept sharing the reports with everybody, and everybody was being encouraged, and everybody was being spurred on to say, Let's, we can do that. And you know what a lot of those people told me? I would have never done that, Doug, if I had to do it alone. I couldn't have done it. But as a group, we got inspired to, and they got such a rush out of doing something for Jesus. that someone said, hey, can we do this again? And some of you are missing out on opportunities because you don't put yourself around somebody that can bolster you and say, come on, let's go do this. Let's go be Jesus with skin on to somebody. Here's another reason we need to commit to this shared life because the Christian life is a we and not a me experience. Becomes clear in Luke's account in the book of Acts that the church's activities of the apostles and the new believers didn't mean if you were a rookie or a veteran. They all understood that the Christian life was designed to be a shared experience. It didn't haphazardly fall into that. That was God's intent all along. And so that's another key concept that we see in Acts 2 is interdependence. Not independence, but interdependence. You see, they knew they really needed each other to fulfill God's will, both personally and corporately. And Luke says that all the new Christians were devoted. I love that word, devoted. We could translate that in the vernacular as they were all in. When it comes to their life, they pushed all the chips into the middle of the table and said, I'm here. What do you need? I'm here. I'll do it. I won't worry about my career. I won't worry about my hobbies. I won't worry about the excuses. Just, I know something's going on here, and I want to be part of it. This is a winning team, and I know i got a part to play. I'm not quite sure what, but I'm here. What can I do? What can I do? They were all in. No, little rangers. No, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. No, it's just me and Jesus, or I'm not worthy. We get all that, too. You see, fellowship is a non negotiable in the Christian life. Because, folks, let's, we need to clarify something. I have people tell me all the time, I have these conversations with people who believe are on the outside and don't go anywhere. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I said, You're right. But you need to go be with the church to be one. This building might as well be a warehouse if we're not here. That's all it is. It's just another building. One building is no more sacred than any other building because of New Testament teaching. Jesus said, is that who's the temple now? You and you and you and you. And we're all vessels of honor in that temple, Paul says. And so being here, the reason what makes it sacred is not the instruments or the toys or the formation of the worship center. No, it's you, you, and you need each other. 
Because you imagine what your Christian life would be like if it was illegal. A friend of my friends on Facebook, I made a comment about how Chris and I went to Olive Garden last night. And I said, you would have thought they were outlawing Italian food next month. Everybody and their brother was at Olive Garden. (laughs) What is the deal? And a friend of mine wrote back on Facebook and he says, what would happen if they outlawed worship next month? Would people be running in here? Or would people say, eh, it's all right. I can still do the thing. I can still do the Christian thing anyway. I wonder what would happen. I wonder if it ever will happen in this country. Or one day I can't talk about certain things out of this pulpit. Or you don't have the freedom to come here anymore. Where would you be? What would you do? I don't never happen. Paul says we're the body of Christ. In three of his New Testament epistles, he says why it's so critical that you get together with other believers on a regular basis. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 4. Just one verse. Christ makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Wow. Really? Yeah. See, that's why you're so pivotal. That's why we need you to be all in. Because being full of love, growing, and being healthy won't happen without you. See, we're the body of Christ, the Apostle Paul says. And that is a great illustration to describe us. Because a whole body, we can see the outside, but each one of us know that we consist of integral parts. Right? And when do we get sick? When one part doesn't what? Function at all or function well. That's called sickness. And we don't feel very lovable and we don't want to be around people. Isn't that funny how that works? How it works in the natural, it's the way in the spiritual too sometimes. And so that's why Paul says you have to be together. Despite our differences in age. Well, I'm just a teenager. What can I do? Well, I'm in my 80s. What good am I? I just got into this thing. What can I do? Paul says, no, we we all need each other. Because no matter what you may think about yourself, you're critical in protecting the health and well-being of this body of believers. I need you in order for us to be healthy and unified and growing and characterized by love. And then he he goes into it again in in Romans chapter 12. And he he starts talking about spiritual gifts. Because you see, when you came to Christ, and I'm going to be real honest here, if you've committed your life to Christ, then you have received, whether you felt it or not, the Holy Spirit. The the Spirit of Christ living in you. And when Christ came into you, all of his character traits came into you, and all of his ministry abilities came into you. And that's why the Bible teaches that you have at least one spiritual gift. Not a natural talent, but a spiritual gift that God has imparted on you so that you will have a special place in this body, whether it's a toenail or a liver or a heart or a hair. I know I don't have the gift of the hair part. I know that. But I mean, each one of you have a critical piece. And you bring certain gifts to the whole. And so when a bunch of people that have bold faith but don't know how to encourage one another, and somebody who has the gift of mercy knows how to do that. And when somebody's really hurting and you who have a gift of faith to say, I know God's going to move into that situation, and you speak boldly. And some of you know how to pray with such a way that you'll lay hands and you go, I believe God will heal and restore. 
And some of you know when somebody says, and I'm dead broke, they don't say, bless you, be at peace. They need somebody that has the gift of generosity to say, here, brother, I'll take care of you. That's what we need. Every one of you. I could never preach. You're not supposed to preach. Maybe you build things. You know how much volunteer work went into this building? We're so grateful. We have a guy who moved mountains of dirt to make this place happen. Couldn't have done it without him. We need each other. It's important. You have a gift. You have a place. He says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body, Paul says. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. We belong to each other. See, you're not your own. You were bought with a price, Paul says. And you're part of something that's so much bigger to you than you, and you should be excited about that. Because you know why? You're going to accomplish something that you would never accomplish alone because you decided to be part of this, what's going on. And you're going to do things as a part of a family that's going to reach, and I believe in all faith, not just this county, but we're going to reach in every parts of the states and every part of the world. Do you dare believe that big? Nothing is impossible for him or her who believes. You guys, the only way I know how to describe this is a puzzle. Anybody put puzzles together? You know, when you get, you get it's, it's nothing when you have a 10-piece puzzle. But get a 1,000-piece puzzle, and you throw them all out on the table, and you're thinking, there's no way this is going together. I mean, you've got mixed colors. You've got mixed sizes. They don't look like they fit together. But you take the time, and pretty soon you find out, hey, this goes with this. And, hey, this matches this. And, hey, this section goes with this section. And then one day you pull back and you look and you go, now that is a beautiful picture that I would have never seen if I hadn't put all the pieces together. And that's us. Each one of you are a puzzle piece at BPUMC. And we need every one of you to complete this picture and to see this beautiful thing that God has, is, and will do through us. Let me tell you the other side of the coin. I happen to own a very, what was supposed to be a very valuable Buck Rogers puzzle. It's made in the 30s. When I was a kid, I went to a garage sale. I saw it, and I thought, ooh, baby, this is money. And so I bought that thing, and I was going to mount it on a board, and I mounted that thing on a board, and once you know it, one piece is missing. One piece. It's not much. It's just a sky piece. But it's the difference between a couple bucks and a couple hundred. And even though I see that picture of Buck Rogers and how neat it is, you know what I always gravitate towards? That missing piece. And that's the way it works with us. If one of you just sort of say, I don't, I don't need this, or they don't need me, we'll be that Buck Rogers puzzle. We'll miss you. Because the time will come when we'll miss your generosity. We'll miss your service. We'll miss your humility. We'll miss your generosity. We'll miss your leadership. We'll miss your administration. I could keep going with all those gifts, but we're going to miss you. And I need you to be all in. We need you to be all in because God's not done here. I believe God's taken us to another level of ministry. Do you believe that? And if you get on board, we will. It'll happen automatically. Let me close with this. Perhaps the most important reason why we need to do shared life together is this. Good Lord. That time needs to go backwards. 
It, it positions us to experience God's presence and power in tangible ways. You see, something unique can happen when Christians get together that's not like any community, club, committee, or congress. When Christians show up, God shows up. When Christians come together, God says, hey, can I play? This is what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20. Listen, for where two or three, not big numbers, where two or three gather together as my followers, or some say in my name, I am there among them. And that key concept is proximity. That when, from strange reason, when you and I draw together to each other, God draws near to us, especially when we come together to pray. That was inescapable in the book of Acts when you read it. They come together not to drink coffee. They come together to pray. And every time God shows up, something good is going to happen. Now listen, real quick. Some of you say, listen, buddy. Had I walked with Jesus for three and a half years, I probably would be bold as a lion in doing those things too. But I, I don't know. We're 2,000 years distance from this guy, and I haven't seen Jesus. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. Whenever two or more are gathered, Jesus is there. And you remember that encouraging word you got from a friend? That was Jesus' voice. You remember when a girlfriend came up, wrapped her arm around you and said, I don't care what you're going through, I'll walk with you? That was Jesus' arm. Do you remember when somebody grabbed you by the hands and said, man, I know you don't have the faith to go through this yourself. Can I walk with you? Can I pray for you? That was Jesus' voice. Because every time you get together with a Christian who's filled with God's Spirit, you see, you hear, you feel, you touch Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is in you. And that power is going to show up. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4 was the purpose of it. Those guys got together. They trusted Jesus. They stayed. They prayed. And God came down in tongues of fire. Every west, one of them were speaking in a language they didn't know, praising God. The unbelievers said, what is going on? They had no idea how he was going to show up, but he did. And when he did, it was unmistakable that God was in their midst. And what did happen? What happened when they got together? Believers were transformed. Believers were empowered, unbelievers took notice, and God is glorified. And let me tell you something. Why on earth would you want to miss that opportunity? Does anybody want to see God move in them? Does anybody want to see God move through them? Then put yourself in a position. Get together and pray. I don't know why we get together for fun activities, but we don't get together to pray. I have no idea how powerful the preaching could be in our pulpit. If 25 men showed up on Sunday morning an hour early and said, let's go to town for Dan. Let's just let's lift up Dan. Let's lift up our speaker, whoever's up there, and let's ask God to pour out his power on him. What might happen? We get eight people at our prayer ministry team meetings twice a month. What would happen if 80 showed up and said, God, rend the heavens and come down. Use us. Move us. Change us. Empower us to be your witnesses. What would happen? Does anybody want to find out? Man, we should be praying in mass because God is saying, just come together and watch me show up. And I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider that. 
get together. I don't even pray out loud. Then change that because the devil knows the minute you open your mouth in Jesus' name, something's going to happen. And that's why he tries to keep you from praying. You know, the example of this for me is when we sat there on the roof down in Cuba and there was 22 of us and we were just a bunch, of, we were a mishmash of people, 15 youth, lay people. This is a pastor. And, I mean, but it was amazing to see what happened. Little Brady Webb playing his guitar saying, look up at the heavens and consider the God who made these stars. And we just laid back and we prayed and we sang. And then God began to speak through the youth. I mean, we just began to speak to each other. Things that were amazing, that were just so encouraging. And I mean, I had something that never happened before. God just gave me words of knowledge for certain youth to say, this is what's going to happen in your life and to speak. I've never done that before. And it just sort of shocked me, you know, but it was just coming. It was just flowing. And, I, and it was real. And, and when it was done, none of us wanted to leave. We didn't want to go to bed. We just wanted to stay on the roof with each other. And you know what? We can do that anywhere. Like Dan said, you don't have to go to Cuba to do that. You can do that in somebody's living room or backyard on a boat or barbecue or a backyard. It can happen if you'll give God a chance. Would you do that? So in conclusion, let's do this. Can I just encourage you to commit to put all your chips in here at Bemis? Would you just give it everything you got? Would you put away, I don't, I can't, I won't, I don't need, and just say, Whatever you takes, God, I'm here. I'll commit. And for some of you, that might be committing to the discovery class, maybe becoming a member that's saying, I'm serious, I'm committed to the ministry of this place. Because maybe you feel like you don't belong. That's one way. Others of you don't feel like you belong yet because you might not even belong to the family of God. And I'm trying to be real sensitive here, but i got to be honest. If you feel like you don't want to belong or you don't belong, maybe, just maybe it's because you haven't given yourself to be a son or a daughter of the living God that you have been on the, the throne of your own life for so long, you're so self-ruled and you're so self-serving that you just think, I don't need anybody and nobody wants me. And you hide your hurts and your hang-ups and your habits, thinking that nobody, but whatever you hide persists, but whatever you confess is gone. And so we're going to close today by saying the Apostles' Creed. Who here has said the Apostles' Creed in the past? Who here has never said the Apostles' Creed? I don't even know there was a creed, okay? Listen, at one point we're going to say the Holy Catholic Church, and all that means is it pertains to us. It means the whole unified, I'm all in together church everywhere in the world is all that means. And I'm going to tell you something. If you've never said, God, I know I'm born in sin and I'm going to die in sin without Jesus, and I'm going to be eternally separated. If I thought isolation was bad now, I'm going to be eternally isolated, and I don't want that. Then today, as you recite the Apostles' Creed, you let that be your prayer of commitment to God through Jesus Christ today. Would you consider that? Let's all stand. We're going to have it on the screen. Let's say it slowly, reflectively, and with all in sincerity. Are you ready? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven 
and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That's who we are. And whether we say that out loud, that's who we are. And we have a common mission, folks, and we need to do it together. If you've never made that commitment before, and today you stepped into the family of God, I know Pastor Dan is here. We have some others here. Would you just come down and take time to let him know, hey, I'm a brother, I'm a sister, and that we can help you take the next steps. Do this as you go. I want you just to turn to each other and say, I'm all in. Are you? God bless you. Have an awesome week.